Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. So, Romans 12, 9, and I I love this verse, and as I've been really focusing on this and, and meditating on it, it talks about the genuineness of love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And, and we've shared with you that there's three components of this verse, two which springboard from the first, which is genuine love. Because there's some things that you need to let go of, and there's some things that you need to hang on to in a relationship. And if you hold on to the wrong things, and if you don't hold on to the right things, the relationship is sure to fail. And so what you hang on to in a relationship determines whether it will succeed or not. And so what is genuine, we need to understand, is truly something that is authentic. It's not counterfeit. And so that's important to realize we're looking for genuine love, something that's real, something that we can be secure in. Deb and I are secure in our love for each other. There's a security there. And we're going to talk a little bit later in a message about the insecurity that often comes because of, of selfishness. And so we'll get to that a little bit later. But by God's design, it's important to realize we were created to love and to be loved, which can be accomplished only through meaningful and healthy relationships. See, every human being has a need to be loved. And see, you can't deny it. You can't deny it. Some people might be living in denial, but there are those we need to understand that we may deem to be unlovable. And maybe it's because they've never been loved because of how they act and how they are. So much of our character is shaped and established by those who love us. And by being a recipient of love, it helps to form who we are. And people act out in ways that can be despicable, ways that can be, uh, you know, just unpleasant or you don't want to be around that because maybe they haven't been loved. And so they're suffering in that capacity because unless we're loved... We don't know how to love. Jesus first loved us. We love because he first loved us. See, the way we love is usually we need to understand it's a response to how we've been loved, okay? And so as a child, how you've been loved as a child, the response of how you've been loved is how you will love, okay? And that's an important element and principle we need to understand, So could it be those we find difficult to love were deprived of love? And and you might be sitting there saying, you know, I look at my life and I can admit honestly that I've been deprived of love. Well, you know what? God can compensate you for any loss or lack of love that you've experienced through those that were supposed to love you in your life. And so that's the beauty of redemption. And God 
invading our lives with his love because it can override where humans have failed. And so that's important to understand as well. Now, the need to love. We all have a need to love. One of the best kept secrets to happiness we need to understand is to love and take care of others. And I think of caregivers. You know, last night I, I went to assisted living home. My, both my parents, are there. actually my dad is in assisted living and at Brookdale they have uh, an independent living site. So my mom is in one room, my dad's in another room there on the same floor just down the hallway. And I just went there kind of to tuck my dad in to be there at bedtime. And the caregivers came in to prepare him and help him, you know, take care of his things to get him ready for bed. And I, I just really witnessed these caregivers doing things that, like, for most people might be kind of disgusting or, you know, like, ah, I don't want to do that. Or you think of a caregiver, a child care worker, changing a dirty diaper, cleaning up puke. You know, all those things that, you know, a caregiver, they can put up with that because of love. And, and, and so there, there's that element. I have the greatest respect for them. See, and, and for a caregiver, it's not their profession, it's a calling. Whether it's the young or the old, the sick or afflicted. And, and so really, when we understand uh, that even is an expression of, of love. The need to be loved is a basic human need. The need that makes us human is love. And so to love is to take a risk, though. We take a risk every time we love to possibly be hurt or rejected. And, and what happens when love turns to hate? I mean, that's a question that we're not going to explore today, but it happens in broken relationships. Once where there was love, it now turns to hate. But yet, there's even forgiveness and restoration. And even though sometimes relationships end and God can heal and you move on and maybe into another relationship, uh, you know, really, we see relationships. It's, it's devastating. And so, now, this song, I Will Always Love You, most people think that Whitney Houston wrote it. It really wasn't written by her. She just re-recorded it years later. Um, the song was originally written and recorded by Dolly Parton in 1973. And it was later recorded by Whitney Houston in 1992, which took the top you know, position of, of record sales in the uh, hugest single in probably the last 25 years. It's still on the top of the list. Now, what you might find interesting is that Dolly Parton wrote it about a professional breakup. It was not a romantic breakup. And when she wrote it and first recorded it, it was a farewell to her mentor, producer, and longtime duet partner, Porter Wagner, uh, with whom she, had, she never had a romantic relationship with him. And so in this song, you know, I, I was thinking, well... People call it a love song, but it's really a song about a breakup. So how do we twist this? How do we look at this in light of, of redemptive truth? And so 
what we need to hear this as God's message to us. He is saying to us, I will always love you. Even though you may stray, even though you may backslide, even though you may walk away from him, he will always love you. And if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, I want you to hear that God will always love you. And see, you can't do anything to get him to stop loving you because his love is not conditional. His love is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that sees you as valuable and precious, not based on what you do, but based on who you are. That's God's love for you. Now, uh, possibly the five most powerful words we can speak to another person is, I will always love you. It's possibly the most powerful words that you can speak to someone or someone can speak to you. And I want to break down these words. The first word, two words is, I will. These are the two most powerful words that can come out of our mouth, I will. Because that sets our determination, that sets our course, that sets our direction. And it's a decisive phrase. It's a matter of fact. And it can be spoken with godly or ungodly intent. I will. We see that Lucifer in his fall before man arrived on the scene, he said, I will five times defying the authority of God. I will, I will, I will. He, he in his pride, defied God's authority. And, you know, we, we know the outcome of that story. And yet, for us to say, I will serve the Lord, Joshua, as he was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. And see, one of the things we need to declare in our life, I will serve the Lord. We need to make those declarations. Now, and you need to mean it. It, it can't just be words. It has to be heartfelt. So I will and then we add the word always. Adding always to I will makes I will even more powerful. Always means at all times and on all occasions. It's an infinite word. It means forever. I will always. And see, that's pretty powerful. And, and then you add the last two words, love you. Adding Love you makes this an undeniable profession of an enduring commitment to another person. Deb, I will always love you. You know, I mean, and she'll say the same thing to me, I'm sure. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> you know, we've, uh, in our small group, and we've been doing these icebreakers. And in this past month, we've been doing these questions. Uh, 
to help us get some input on relationship building. Uh, and so the one we did this last Wednesday was kind of interesting. I, I shared Hebrews 1.9. Hebrews 1.9 says, and this is speaking of Jesus Christ in reference to him. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity or wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. See, Jesus loved what was right. He hated what was wrong. He loved righteousness. He hated evil. He hated iniquity. And so if you ask yourself the question, what are the things I love in life? And what are the things I hate? If you can answer those two questions you'll find a clue to what you're called to do in life. See, Jesus, he hated iniquity, hated evil, but he did something about it. He brought redemption to lost humanity to undo the wickedness that had corrupted mankind. And so when we realize that what Jesus loved, he loved righteousness, he hated iniquity, so it caused him to do what he did in bringing salvation to mankind. And so we ask that in the context of human relationships. And you can, in your own mind, kind of answer this question for yourself. What do I love in a relationship? And what is it that I hate in the relationship? And so I'm going to just give you a few of the responses that we had in our small group. Uh, somebody said, I love being talked to. I hate being ignored. Right? I love when people accept me for who I am. I hate racism. I love honesty. I dislike strife. See, some, and I, some people didn't like to even use the word hate. They would dislike, I don't like, but, but really, uh, it's okay to hate. Did you know that? As long as you're hating the right things, not the wrong things. Hate is a strong word, uh, but it's a, uh, it's a powerful force because it's something that will motivate you to do something. You know, I hate if you hate injustice, then you're going to do something to bring justice. Okay? All right? Um, I like or love when people listen. I hate manipulation. And you're going to, li I like this one. I'm not going to mention names. I love Silliness, openness, and the ability to laugh. What disgusts me is abuse in any form. Yeah, I think that's good. I love conversation and quality time. I hate stagnation and distraction in the relationship. I love sincerity, depth, and meaningfulness. I hate lying, scheming, and manipulation. See, that manipulation is something else. I love openness and genuineness. I hate the opposite. I love when people get along and network their gifts. I hate when people are manipulative and controlling. I love when people are authentic. I hate when they are fake. And so those are just a few things, and I'm, I'm sure you can probably resonate with some of those answers, but that will help identify where you're at and in, in even uh, in your relationships or what you're looking for in building a meaningful relationship with someone else. Now, we also...
pose some questions, and, and I can't answer these questions. I'd like to take time and answer all of these questions in the service, but I don't have time. Um, I, I do want to take a moment and, and uh, recognize the Ostruskis. They're up from Florida, but they're uh, taking another family down with them in the Florida move. So we're going to certainly miss them, but great to have you folks here today. Um, join us in the service. Um, so these questions, and maybe you have some of these questions as well. Or, uh, let me share these. How do we deal with in-laws when they are controlling and put pressure on you? Mm. Oof, that's a tough one, right? How do you let your family know you have not given up on them? How do you know the relationship you're in is of God? When family does not change spiritually, what do you do? How do you deal with a spouse that's an unbeliever? How do you know if you're putting your parenting before God? How do you deal with jealousy in a relationship? How do you deal with negative and difficult people who are family? How do you deal with family members that are in competition? These are some good questions, right? Now, it's impossible for me to address all these questions in this service, but I can share three points that will apply in principle that will help give you the answer, okay? And so the three points, if you're taking notes, you want to write these down. Three points to always love. Three points to always love. Number one, choose to love and choose to forgive. Choose to love and choose to forgive. We need to realize that love can never be forced. I can't make you love me and you can't make me love you. Love is a choice. See, we choose to love and we choose not to love. Yet, and this is the, you know, what complicates things, Yet love is a command. But love is a command, not forced, but embraced. See, we embrace the commandment to love. We're not forced by the commandment to love. Okay, we need to understand that. And, and as we see the scripture, uh, John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, that you also are to love one another. See, that's a commandment we embrace. And when we embrace that commandment, we're actually empowered to fulfill it because the commandment empowers us to live it out, okay? Now, Jeremiah 31, 3, I love this verse because when we understand that God will always love you. It reads, the Lord appeared to him from far away, from a distance. And he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. See, God loves with an everlasting love. It's a love that doesn't end. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, verse 8, the scripture says, love never fails. See, love does not fail when it's received. 
And when it runs its full course, it cannot fail because the word says love never fails. And you might say, but I've experienced failure in my love. Well, that's not necessarily your fault unless actions that you did sabotage that relationship, okay? And, and we can't really go real in-depth along those lines. But we understand we choose to love and we choose to forgive. You can't force someone to forgive you. Someone can't force you to forgive them. Forgiveness is your choice just as love is your choice. And yet Colossians 3.13, which is a scripture that exhorts us to forgive, it reads, bearing with one another. And that's, that's the issue we bear. We have to bear with one another. We have to put up with this. It's not easy. You may have to put up with this again. Notice it says, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, oh boy. Been complaining lately? Anybody in here, have you been complaining lately? If you have a complaint, we have a scriptural instruction for you right here in Colossians 3.13. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgive, forgiven you, you also must forgive. So we see, if you're complaining about somebody, then you need to go into the mode of forgiveness. You need to choose to forgive that person. And if you don't, uh, you just continue to complain and things aren't going to get any better. Uh, man, I, I could say so much more on that area right there. And it's important to realize that forgiveness releases the offense, the hurt, and the pain that you may be bearing or carrying in your life. And uh, like Deb shared last week, life is not worth living without forgiving, okay? And so Colossians 3.13, that's a great verse to really put down to your memory, commit to memory. Number two. We look at number two. The second point to always love, don't be selfish. Now, this is a big one. And this is where we all struggle. When we fail to submit our lives to Jesus Christ, if, I'm, if I fail to submit my life to Jesus Christ, I will be a very selfish man. It's only in my submission to Christ that deals with the selfish tendencies that are in my life, in the old man, the fleshly nature. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. We see a very important uh, passage concerning this issue of selfishness. And let me, if, if you find your place there, Philippians 2, 1 through 5, I want to share this statement. If you are self-focused in a relationship, it will eventually fail. It will fail because you can't be selfish in a relationship just as, as Brooke and Andrew shared this morning. I, they didn't even see my notes, but they kind of almost preached my sermon there. Philippians chapter 2, 
1 through 5. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now notice verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, I need to pause. It doesn't mean you to consider yourself insignificant, but you to consider others as more significant than yourself, okay? So it's not making yourself of no value and placing all the value in others, but it's increasing your view of value that you place on others over yourself, okay? And then it goes on in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, in other words, don't be so self-focused, but also to the interest of others. What's the concern that Deb has? Am I in tune to that? Am I clued in? Or do I ignore that? Do I care? According to this, no, I need to look to her interests. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, we need to take on the mindset of Jesus Christ, who was not selfish. And he proved that. Now, we must determine to refuse selfish tendencies. Because human nature is selfish apart from God. To be selfish is to be self-centered. Selfishness may dominate your life if you don't take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. To be self-centered is, is lacking consideration for others. It is being concerned just chiefly with one's own personal interest or pleasure and don't really consider the needs of others. Now, in contrast, to be self-centered means to be preoccupied with oneself and one's own affairs. And that's not cool. You know, you're not going to be all that popular. People are going to tend to avoid you, you know, if you're that way. Now, the extreme of selfishness leads to narcissism. And narcissists put themselves first. They are self-obsessed. They're generally emotionally blind to others' wants or needs or desires. They break the rules because the rules don't apply to them. Now, by definition, narcissists are egotistical. They're self-focused. They're vain. They're full of pride. A true narcissist does not see self-absorption as something negative. They don't. They're so blinded to it. And because narcissists tend to lack empathy... They have trouble understanding why a desire to put themselves first should be seen as a negative trait. They just, they don't. So, and finally, the third point. When we're looking at always to love. The third point of always to love is be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to sacrifice. See, a sacrifice... is a loss of something that you give up 
you forsake, usually for the sake of a better cause. See, parents sacrifice time and sleep to take care of their children, especially when they have little infants and little babies. You know, that it just totally wrecks our schedule, you know, right? <clears throat> but kids might sacrifice TV time to hang out with mom and dad, okay? And so the sacrifice that children make is at a different level than what we adults will make for them. Now, we realize that nothing great is ever achieved without some level of sacrifice, whether it's time, discipline, money, commitment. A sacrifice is anything you can do to give up to benefit another person. All right? You hanging with me this morning? See, we're to present our bodies to God according to Romans 12.1 as a living sacrifice. See, the problem with the living sacrifice, it, it keeps wanting to crawl off the altar. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, okay, here I am. That's why the Bible exhorts us to do it every day. Okay, Lord, today I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. That's pleasing in his sight when you do that, according to the word. But let's look at Philippians 2, and we're going to continue on in the discourse we see in that chapter in verse 6, because we see the picture of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Verse 6, Philippians 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't, just because he was God, didn't exempt himself from being a servant. And it goes on to say, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was his sacrifice for humanity, to die for the sins of the world, to give himself for us. Now, in Hebrews 10, 12, the scripture says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. I just want to share maybe in the context a couple of, of points in a marriage relationship. In a marriage, a woman's greatest need is for security. Would you women agree? Her most secure environment is one where she is married to a sacrificial, sensitive man. See, a man's greatest need is respect, okay? We need to be respected. And I don't want to necessarily put a heavy burden on you men, but hey, guys, we need to lead the example in sacrifice for our spouses. And, and you, you know, some of you singles might say, okay, are there any men out there that are willing to sacrifice themselves for me? And, and yet, I believe there are. And especially with God's help when we're following Christ, when he is infusing us with his nature and allowing us to live out his life, 
we can live a life that exemplifies Christ and we can be a husband or we can be a wife that takes on those attributes in a healthy and meaningful relationship that builds and not tears down, that lifts up and not destroys. So what does a sacrificial husband look like? Well, he's dedicated to serving his wife. Say, I want to serve that woman, and yet she's going to serve me too. It's, it's a two-way street. But I'm committed to serve her, and in fact, I want to out-serve her. I don't want her to get one up on me. And see, that's a good challenge. That's a good competition, a healthy competition for spouses. He puts her needs above her own. And, and honey, I've failed many times at that, but I'm working on it. See, I want to put her needs above my own. See, that's what Jesus did for us. He put our needs above his own. And see, God gives us that example. The husband is to be to his wife as Christ is to the church. Wow. I could share a few more, but I think that's enough. <laughs> and let me, as we close in prayer, as we close this service, I want to direct you to verses 9 through 11 in Philippians, as well as we continue to read through the discourse in that chapter. In chapter 2, 9, verse 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. As we close this service, you need to identify where you are at in your relationship with God because that's going to make or break and be the difference in how you are able to build meaningful relationships with others. You need to establish the vertical so you can deal with the horizontal relationships of your life. And I believe God is wanting to infuse in us a greater understanding and a greater depth of his love because he has something to say to you. He has something to give you, to help you be who you need to be. Because all of us would agree, oh, we need to do better. But we struggle because we fail repeatedly. And it seems like we become discouraged and it's like, what's the use anymore? But yet God is there to pick us up and to empower us to walk out this life, to live out this life to the glory of his name as we see in this passage. When your relationship with the Lord is no longer a priority, other relationships are going to suffer as well. And so that's what I want to do in closing this service. Let's make our relationship with Jesus Christ a priority. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.